Welcome to the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today's episode is part of the SLP Spotlight series where I talk with SLPs in a variety of SLP positions and settings, doing things that we knew SLPs did, but also working in areas that we've never thought or heard of SLPs working in. It is amazing the opportunities these SLPs have taken and where their careers have gone. This is storytelling time. Hello, and today we are here with Kate Dervicious, who has an incredibly interesting, different perspective on the story of how she came to be a speech pathologist. Can you tell us why you started to be a speech pathologist, Kate? And welcome. Sure. Thank you for having me. This is a really cool thing that you're doing for um, new budding speech pathologists out there. Um, So I came into this field later in my life. I didn't go back to graduate school to become a speech pathologist until I was 35. And then I did graduate school quite slowly because at the time I had two little ones at home. Um, So I had an infant and a toddler when I started the program. So, um, you know, I really looked for a program that was going to accommodate me (laughs) in my family situation and found a great program for that and really did it slowly and at my own pace. So it took me almost five years, four and a half years, I think, to to get out of the program. So I didn't start working as a speech pathologist until I was 40. Um, You know, and this was after two other careers that I'd had that were quite different. So I came into it, I feel like, from a very different place, you know, starting this work at 35 or 40 than, you know, certainly where, where I was at 22. And I... I guess the path was I started my life, my working life out of grad, um, undergraduate school, not knowing really what I wanted to do. And I got into the corporate world and I did that for all of my twenties and felt really um, unfulfilled. And then I decided at around 30 that I wanted to work with kids. And I'm also from an entire family of educators, the vast majority of um, my immediate and my extended family our teachers, special education teachers, work in education in some capacity. So I think I denied that for all of my 20s and then kind of, you know, came full circle by 30 and said, well, wait a minute, you know, I I really do think this is what I want to be doing as well. So at 30, I went back to school to get my teaching credential, my elementary teaching credential. And then I did that on a part-time basis for a few years while I was starting my own family, um, And then through those years, I just thought, you know, I feel like there's something a little different and a little more that I want to do and that I want to specialize more. And as I started researching that and trying to kind of reach out and figure out sort of work settings that I wanted to be in and how I wanted to reach kids, speech pathologies just jumped out at me. So that's when I ended up at 35 going back to grad school for it. So I felt like it was a very roundabout way of getting where I am right now. So when you went back to graduate school, how did your family react when you said I'm shifting careers? Um, well, my immediate family, like my husband, was has been unbelievably supportive of all of my career changes and steps um, along the way. And, you know, when I decided, I think at 30, that I wanted to get out of the corporate world and go back into teaching, you know, I have a very close extended family too. And, um, everyone was like, oh, of course, they call it the family business. 
They said, oh, you're going into the family business. That's what you're doing. <laughs> well, that's what we would expect you to do, Kate. And so everyone was, of course, really supportive. And, and there's just something about coming up in a family of educators where I think it literally is a little bit in your blood, like that you want to be working with kids and, and you want to be making a difference in that way. So I just, I spent a decade of my life, like I said, kind of denying that and thinking, oh, I, I felt like I needed to go out and see what else was out there in the world before mm-hmm. I made that decision. And then I came back to it. But then I, you know, being who I am, I was like, well, I want to do it a little differently. And I don't know if being in sort of this rigid um, classroom setting, which felt kind of rigid to me for the rest of my life is the answer. Like I felt like, I wanted to work with kids, but I wanted to work with kids who had more needs. I wanted to work, be able to work with kids in smaller groups or one-on-one. And I wanted more flexibility, I think, at the end of the day with how I do my job. And I think that was one of the driving forces to me looking into speech pathology. And starting your private practice. Yes. And that came a few years down the road. So yeah, I went into this um, because of my education background, thinking schools all the way. Um, I went into speech pathology, really thinking about the school component and only thinking about this from the school component and how that looks in the school systems. And really, to be perfectly honest, knew very little about the adult side of speech pathology when I even entered the graduate program. So the whole program was great and eye-opening and I learned so much and of course you have to get all of your adult therapy clinical hours as well so I had that experience and I certainly kept my mind open to the possibility of working in different um, areas or even with the adult population but at the end of the day I just I knew that wasn't for me like I went into this to work with kids and I came out of the program knowing I still wanted to work with kids One of the reasons why I do this podcast is there are so many students who come out of our graduate programs nationwide, worldwide, and they have an idea of what they want to do, but they don't know how they can do it and where they can go and how far they can go with it. And you are an example of this is what I want to do and this is how I'm going to do it. And when you make those decisions in life based on what you want to be doing in your value system, things line up much better for you. And you have more of a passion-driven practice, which I know is important to you. Right. Yeah, and I think, again, I think my age, when I started both graduate school and got out of graduate school and started working, you know, at 40, you're a very different person than you are at 25. Mm-hmm you know, 25, 26, which is when a lot of folks are coming out of graduate school and starting to work as a speech pathologist. Um, And I just had a very different perspective about the whole thing. You know, I came out of graduate school thinking, well, I want to work in schools. That's why I did this. This This is what I know. This is what's familiar to me. This is what's going to put me on the same schedule as my kids and you get the summers off. And, you know, that's sort of how I was raised in my family because my mom was an educator. Um, So I had all these sort of thoughts in my head about how it should look or could look. Um, But I quickly realized once I was in the schools that I didn't feel that it was a, a great fit for me. And it was a little bit of a, um, 
trying to think of how to put this. It was a little shocking to me and, uh, and disappointing because I felt like I went into the graduate program wanting so badly to work in schools. And I worked really hard to get into my local school district, which wasn't super easy to get into at the time. And, um, you know, I kind of set my eye on the prize and, and went for it and got the position. And then I got there and it just wasn't very fulfilling to me. And I felt like, um, I felt disappointed by that. I felt like, well, wait, I've worked so hard <laughs> to like get myself not only this graduate degree and start working, but working in the schools and working in my own children's school district, like in my local school district, this is all working out the way I thought it should work out. And then I got there and felt like everything was off. It felt like my work life balance was um, really, really off. Um, it felt really overwhelming. I felt like I wasn't connecting with kids in the way that I wanted to, um, which is why I went into this in the first place. So I just, I had to do a lot of soul searching and I had to do it kind of quickly because I think because I was, you know, 43 at the time when I was kind of reaching this point, I felt like life is too short and I'm too old to stay in a job at this point that's not fulfilling. So I need to make some changes and I need to make some sort kind of take a leap of faith right now to do something that feels more aligned with why I went into this in the first place. So that's why I, why and when I made the jump to private practice. What was some of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome? Probably one of the hardest parts to starting a private practice. And I, like I said, I took a big leap of faith and I didn't do this part-time, which a lot of folks do. So they'll keep their, their school job or their more consistent work that they've got and then start slowly building up a client base on the side. And I think that that's a great strategy to get your name out into the community and community and start building up your private practice slowly. But I also, for me, that, that just wasn't going to work because I felt like I had no time in my life to continue to do a school job and to do that well and try to build the private practice and try to take care of my kids and maintain my family. So you know, I just took the leap and said, I'm going to just dive in headfirst to this. And in the beginning, it's just getting your name out. I think getting your name out into the community. I think the marketing piece and just letting people know that you're out there is probably the most difficult first step, you know, and something that just literally just takes time and effort and you got to sort of chip away at it day by day. And that's sort of what I found. If you were to do this over again, what would be one of the first things you would do? If I were to do it over again, you know, I'm not entirely sure that I would do a lot of really different things um, because I do feel like I was pretty methodical about sort of putting my marketing together and putting a website together and getting email campaigns going. And I, you know, I do feel like I took a lot of those early steps that felt right and authentic to me. So I don't know that I would do a ton of different things, but I do think that I would feel, I would try if I was going to do it over again to just have more faith in myself and more faith in the process that things are going to come along. Because I, it was scary, you know, I'm not going to lie and say that this wasn't overwhelming at first and that it didn't feel intimidating to do this because it, it does. But I do feel like overall, the older I've gotten, I've been more of a believer that 
the universe will provide, things will come to you. And I do feel like it's, that's happened for me in my practice that more clients have come when I've been able to handle more clients and I've grown at a pace that's felt um, right for me and for my family and what's been going on in my life at the time too. So I just think sort of having trust in the process and trust in yourself is really, really important if you're going to go down this path. But it took me some time to get there. And I, and I think that's an important thing to note. It does take time. And so many people get their degree and they're like, here I am, I've arrived. And it's mm-hmm. not exactly like they thought it would be, mm-hmm. which is why I'm doing this podcast to open up so many eyes, to connect so many people with so many resources and dreamers and doers that and find inspiration from one another and strength from one another. Mm-hmm. What is the best piece of advice that anybody's given you? My very first school position when I, out of grad school, when I was doing a fellowship, so my fellowship year, there was a very seasoned, a great, a very impressive speech pathologist who was my CF mentor that semester um, who had done some really, really cool, creative, like outside the box kinds of things in a school that had really, um, it was a, a, a very high demand school. Um, so there was big caseloads and there were, I think, four self-contained classrooms in the school that were pretty highly impacted. So these were kids, you know, when we're talking about kids like that, we're talking about kids you can't often throw into like group therapy and they need to be seen one-on-one and there's, there's different challenges, more, more severe communication impacts. Um, and she had created this whole program in the school and she called it, I'm trying to remember, I don't, it, she basically had created this, this like fake restaurant in her school with one of the autism classrooms and it was just like her passion project. And I was so impressed with it. And I was so impressed with how much time and effort and energy she put into it. And I saw how much it energized her. And here I was like right out of grad school, just trying to, you know, get my observations done and, and figure out the school systems and figure out IEPs. And there's so much you have to learn when you're, you know, first entering into the schools. And I felt so overwhelmed And I'm sure she sensed that. And she just, I remember her saying to me at one point, like, you're never going to feel like you're doing it all perfectly. And you just need to find like your, find your niche, find your passion area and, and go for it. Like find what makes you happy in this field, whatever that might be and go after it. And it was really, it was really good advice. It really did stick in my head because it made me realize that the schools can get pretty complicated and you can get very easily overwhelmed just by the sheer numbers, like numbers and paperwork and meetings. And you can get really bogged down in a lot of that. And she, her words just resonated with me, like find the thing, even if you stay in the schools, find that thing that you love to do, find your area and really dig into it and make it into what you want it to be. Because that's never just going to get handed to you on a platter. I think that's what I found. So if you don't create it, you're just going to be kind of stuck in someone else's rat wheel. Oh, <laughs> so you, exactly. So you have to really find it and create it for yourself. And so that 
I think that's what ultimately drove me out of the schools and made me say, these, these are areas that I can't, I can't change enough to make it suit what I need for myself. So I need to kind of go create that for myself. And that's what I'm still in the process very much of doing in my practice. Because as I said, I'm only, I'm going into my fourth year of private practice and I've learned so much, but it's still evolving and changing all the time. And I can't tell you now what it's going to look like three years from now or five years from now. And it, it will always evolve. I think of the, you know, just the, how I've evolved over my years in my career and where I started is very different from where I am now. Mm-hmm. I never thought that I would be um, faculty. And I never thought I'd have my own website. I never thought that my niche would be speech pathologist. Not, I mean, I've always been so heavy in the medical world. Mm-hmm. And I love, love, love what I'm doing. And it's constantly, not constantly, but, you know, my website's going through another big change in October. Um, I love being in a field where we can adapt, learn, change to our needs, our lifestyle, our, our balancing of everything, and that we can move into somewhere where we are more passionate. So tell us about your day in your private practice. Who do you see? What do you do? How does that roll out? Uh, Well, my practice is called Communicate with Kate. Uh, I'm located in Michigan, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I um, do have a little office space that I work out of, but all of that has shifted since the pandemic. And I've basically moved my entire practice online to teletherapy, you know, as I'm sure most therapists out there have have done. and I felt like that in, in and of itself was a huge learning curve, but I've come pretty far in six months. And, and I think because of that, I'm sort of more open. Like once again, it's like you have to be flexible and just figure out what's going to work for you. And I'm finding out that there's a lot of pieces of teletherapy that are actually working really, really well for me. And, you know, whereas a year ago, I never even would have thought of, about this. Now I'm starting to think, well, wait, there's a lot of really cool things that I can offer. And I'm seeing a lot of really great progress with kids shifting to online. So, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis, you know, I don't have a huge practice. Um, and, I, you know, I'm always looking to grow a little bit more than where I am. I will say that. But I'm also not looking to be killing it and working 50, 60 hour weeks because there is, that's part of the reason why I shifted to private practice is that I really, really needed and wanted more work-life balance. So I want to be able to work maybe less hours than I was working in the schools, um, but still have time for my kids and still have time for all the extracurricular things going on in their lives and then things that I want to do in my own life. So I've been very, very purposeful about not overscheduling and filling things up to the point where I feel like I'm running ragged. And I do feel like my practice is allowed for that. Um, I focus only on pediatrics. So I do see a very wide range within that realm. So I see anyone from 18-month-olds up to high school or even young adults. Um, but I don't generally see anyone in the, in the adult population beyond maybe young adults who are working with social pragmatic things. But um, 
I also feel like I'm still, like I said, I'm still relatively new to my practice. And so I feel like things are evolving all the time. I've finally had time versus being in the schools to like dig into areas of this field that have always been really interesting to me and that I now have time to get trained on, get certified in, read the research on and really start implementing in my practice. And these are all things that were really difficult to do when I was working in a school setting. So I'm still kind of figuring out slowly but surely what my individual sort of niches are that I want to dig into a little bit more in my practice. What has been one of your biggest frustrations being a private practitioner? I don't know if I'd call it a frustration, but I do think one of the harder pieces of being in private practice is that you can get a little isolated when you're not, you know, working on a team. And I will say that I'm generally someone who works well on teams, that I'm a good collaborator. Um, That was an aspect of working in the schools that worked for me. Um, When I was working on a great special ed team, then it was fun and it opened up a lot of opportunities in terms of how you deliver services and how you collaborate with different service providers to help kids. So I enjoyed that a lot, that aspect of my job when I was in the schools and that's harder to do in private practice. Like you really have to, you have to reach out and kind of build your own community and your own support community to prevent that isolation. So I would just say that's been a challenge. I wouldn't call it a frustration, but I'd call it sort of a challenge. I like that, but that's a much better word. What is one of the top resources that you use most often that you can share with us? Well, I'm going to say a couple of things maybe. I think the thing that is top of mind right now is the teletherapy piece because I've had to shift everything to that. So we are a people who, especially if you work with kids, have gigantic shelf loads and boxes of resources. You know, we've got games and cards and pictures and every therapy material you can imagine to pull out. And a lot of that has had to shift when I've gone to teletherapy because you need to be able to have all these resources on your computer. Um, So one really great resource that I would mention that I've used tremendously since COVID began is lesson picks. And I don't know if you're, if a lot of your folks are familiar with that, but it's, um, it's a subscription based and it's quite affordable. It's a subscription based website that allows you to download all sorts of visual supports and create all sorts of different games and everything you can imagine. And that company has also been pretty outstanding in, in shifting and changing with the times to meet the needs for a lot of therapists out there and that they've figured out very quickly how instead of just downloading, you know, printable PDF files, They've figured out how you can download things into Google Slides and PowerPoint and make them interactive and things like that, which has been really, really amazing for teletherapy. So Lesson lesson Picks, it's L-E-S-S-O-N-P-I-X.com, has been a really fantastic resource. And then beyond that, I have a few things that are also just kind of part of my areas of passion in my private practice. One of them is that I'm a Hannon certified speech pathologist. 
So I use Hannon materials extensively. And Hannon is another company that I think has really met the challenge of COVID in that, you know, traditionally Hannon programming has to be offered to families in person. And for listeners who don't know what Hannon is, it's an organization out of Toronto, Canada, that focuses on um, training and supporting and educating caregivers early childhood educators and caregivers and parents of kids in the zero to five realm who are language delayed. So they really offer wonderful, wonderful supports. And so one of their biggest missions is to train speech pathologists to offer these types of trainings to parents. And I'm a huge, huge believer in the Hannon methodology. Um, I use their resources and their methodology in all the work I do with early intervention, um, So they've met that challenge where they've said, okay, everyone's shifting to online work and teletherapy. So they've taken most of their programming and adjusted it and put put it all online as an access as as a resource that we can access through teletherapy now. And so now we can offer this programming in a whole different way that we were never able to offer it before. And I think that that's been really huge too. So I'm impressed. I'm really impressed with these companies that are shifting with the times very quickly and giving therapists what they need to make our jobs easier right now while everyone's having to shift like just on the fly. Mm -hmm. It's important to be collaborative. One of the things that I'm working on on my website is to set up an affiliate link, not so I get all these big kickbacks. But what I'm hoping to do is by providing the affiliate link, I'm going to go to some of these companies and say, can you give the listeners a discount? And I'm Mm -hmm. still in the process of of negotiating that, much like MBSIMP, um, which is is the modified barium swallow and parent protocol. If you get a group, well, then everybody gets a discount. And so I'm hoping to be able to provide discounts for the listeners to this podcast. I get paid nothing for this podcast. So it would be nice to be able to um, somehow support what I'm doing, but yet also support everybody else. And it, I, I think that's reasonable to be able to say, hey, you know, let's have a discount for those who are interested in the Lesson Pick subscription program or the Hannum program or something like that. Because sometimes um, people do shy away from some of the cost. Yeah, absolutely. Last question. Words of advice for the new speech pathologist or the transitioning speech pathologist? I think for either one of those people, I would say that follow your passion. You know, figure out, maybe take a little time to figure out what your passion is in this field because it is so huge and broad. And there are so many different directions that you can take. So find out what it is that you're really passionate about. What do you love to do? And, um, you know, be open to the journey and be open to the fact that things can really evolve and change all the time in this field and that there's tons of opportunity. So don't ever feel like, you know, sort of I felt at the beginning like I was going to be stuck in the schools my whole life when it just didn't feel for me like a great fit. Um, Be open to the journey and open to the idea that 
there's so much that we can offer and so much we can do and that you can really think outside the box and get creative with how to offer your services and, and make it feel really authentic for, for you and who you are and what you want. And that that can change <laughs> as you grow and you learn more things. Because even in my relatively short tenure in this field, I've seen myself change a lot in terms of where I want to focus and what I want to do. And I think it's continually evolving as we've talked about. So, you know, I think some of my areas of focus and practice in my private practice right now are probably going to change a lot in the next five years and next 10 years. And, and now I'm more open to that, to the idea of change and change is okay. And just be on the journey and see what comes to you. I think that is wisdom that age gives us. I agree. Cause that would have been a lot harder for me to say it, you know, 25 or 30, mm-hmm. but yeah, that is the beauty of, I mean, and I think that's a huge piece of the beauty of going into this field later in my life. You know, I went in with a very different perspective and, you know, and it's continually evolving and changing. As I said, as I continue to age and um, as my priorities shift and change in my life too, with my family and everything else. So um yeah, I don't know. I'm. I feel. I feel at the end of the day, really blessed and and lucky to have found this field because I just think it mm-hmm. offers so much flexibility. So I think that's the biggest thing. Like, just know that you're never stuck in any one area of this field. That there are a million different things that you can do, and right. it's okay to get creative and create your own path and just exactly. be open to the journey. Exactly. Well, thank you very much for your time, Kate. Thank you. This was really great. And I think, again, this is a great thing that you're offering, Maddie. If I had listened to something like this when I was going through grad school or just coming out, I actually think it would have helped me a lot at that time. Well, that's, that's my aim. That's my yeah. aim. I've had a great, wonderful career, and this is me giving back to my career. Yeah. Well, it's a great thing you're doing. It's really cool. Tell us again one more time where we can find you. My website is www.communicatewithkate.com. You Kate can, with a K? Kate with a K, yep. And uh, within that website, you can get a lot of resources. I'm always trying to add to my site as well. Like I try to write blogs and areas of interest pretty frequently. Um, I've got a lot. I've got a resource page that can send folks and parents out to different areas to get more information in different areas of our field. So I am trying to always use that site as a resource for parents um, just to get more information about who we are and what services might be out there for their kiddos. Um, yeah, so I also have a Instagram page and a Facebook page and all of that can be linked through my website as well. So. And we'll have those in the show notes. So people okay. can um, download the show notes and follow those links to you. And Perfect. we'll also have those other notes about lessonpicks.com. I'll see if I can't get us a discount as a group. So if you come in through the website, then um, we'll get... I, I did this wonderful thing one time. It was the rejection challenge where I learned to ask things that I thought I was going to be rejected on because I noticed I was getting rejected and I'm okay, thing, oh, okay, maybe next time. And my body language and, and everything else, like, oh, and I, I got on, I don't remember where I found it, but I've learned now to ask. It's a left brain thing. And if somebody says no to me, that's okay. Yeah. It's not a personal thing. So I will go ask for um, all of the listeners if we can't get some type of a discount on, on the programs that we're talking about. 
on the podcast. That's great. Yep. That sounds great. If you don't ask, you don't get. Correct. Well, thanks again for your time, Kate. Thank you, Maddie. Today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP, continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. Also, please share an episode with a friend. Together, we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You got this.